Oh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our worship service. It's so great to see you here. Also, like to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Good to see you and have you here this morning. So, we look forward to worshiping the Lord together. So, I'm going to open our service with um, a reading from the book of Romans. And I've recently come to realize that all of Scripture was really designed to be read aloud in a community setting like this. So, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. And it's also, as we're reading these letters, it's also important to remember that they were written for a specific purpose to specific people. And to understand what the passages are about, it helps to understand who those people were and what that purpose was. So I'm going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. And he was writing it to several house churches that were in Rome. He had never been there. He didn't know most of the people that were in those churches. He did know a few. But at the, in the beginning, he says a couple of things. Here is uh, uh, from verse 10 of chapter 1. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And then here's another thing. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. So let me now read a section from Romans chapter 11 that is relevant for us as we begin our worship service this morning. So imagine that Paul knew us here in Three Lakes and he wanted to encourage us in our faith. This is what he would have written. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of this good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people that God loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once, you Gentiles were rebels against God. 
But when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. So now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you, so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience, so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So with that, let us sing, let's stand and sing of his mercy to us.
You may be seated. Welcome to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. My name is Ian. I'm the youth and family pastor here, and we're super excited for you to be with us, whether you're here in person or online. Um, we have a couple of announcements today. Um, there's a baby shower coming up for our senior pastor and his wife. Um, so that'll be on Saturday, November 13th at 10 a.m. If you are going, we need you to RSVP. Um, you can contact Sheena Welsh. Um, her email and phone number are in the bulletin, but um, when I talked to Sheena earlier this week, not a lot of people had RSVP. So if you're going, please RSVP. Also, our seniors group is meeting again on November 16th at 5 p.m. Um, games and snacks. I think it sounds pretty good, so I might be there too. But um, if you are 55 and up, please consider going to that. If you turn in our bulletin, you'll notice that our mission statement is there, reach, grow, serve. Um, we have some stuff coming up in each of those categories, and I'd like to call up two ladies who are part of a ministry that I think really hits every single one of these. So if um, Melissa Warner and Anna Epler could come up. Thanks, Ian. Um, so I'm here um, as the Fun Club coordinator to give an update on how Fun Club is going. This is a major outreach of our church to um, people in our community, to families in our community, and specifically the kids who are in 4K through 5th grade. And we get to go to school and go in school, and we get to gather up the kids and bring them um, in the church vans over here to uh, the church, and we get to minister to them for a couple hours after school. And um, we have over 60 kids signed up for Fun Club. That is half of the kids in the elementary school in those grades. So we have great attendance at Fun Club, and it is so fun. We really try to create a fun environment here, and... Um, it is awesome. And then we also try to create a safe environment for them to be um, here and to feel safe, and this is a good place to be. And then thirdly, we really try to make this a happy place. And I am telling you, if you are ever down in the dumps and you want to see some unbridled happiness, come observe Fun Club. Um, if you walk in the room downstairs after school on the Wednesdays of Fun Club, you will see joy in action. These kids are so happy to be hula hooping and eating snacks and playing football and gaga ball and um, just having a great time. So it is so fun to see the happiness and the joy that is here at this church. And thanks to an awesome team of volunteers, this is happening. We've had three fun clubs already and it is up and running and is going strong and God is doing some awesome things. So also we have a, a meal ministry as part of Fun Club, and so Melissa is going to tell you a little bit about that. So the meal ministry has been part of Fun Club for a long time. We've had some really wonderful people creating meals, and last year changed everything, like it changed a lot of things, right? So uh, we decided to do Meals to Go because we couldn't include people for dinner in our facility last year. And the Meals to Go were a great success. We had a lot of fun doing them. We had a great team. JP and her team um, created meals, and then we, Bob and I, would come in with a group, and we would package them and serve them. So this year, um, when you take all of the kids and all of their families that are attending Fun Club and all of the volunteers and their families, that's 200 people. That's like serving a wedding 
reception twice a month. So it was a wonderful problem, a wonderful growing pain to have because we just had to rework things. So we're reworking it and it's going to be Pizza Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month. Each family will get some frozen pizzas, carrots, and homemade chocolate chip cookies. So that's how we're doing it. We're really excited to be able to feed the families and the volunteers and their families and to just continue on a really awesome tradition. So we hope that you will keep us all in your prayers, Fun Club, um, the whole thing. We all need your prayers. We're ministering to 200 people. That's a really big deal. So thanks for standing with us on that. Fun Club's been great. Anne and Melissa are doing a great job. Um, it's pretty cool to just come here and feel the energy and be overwhelmed by the smell as well, right? <laughs> 200 kids that have been in school all day and then they come here, right? But it is fun. It's really good. So if you are looking for a ministry to be involved in, it is a great ministry. Talk to me, talk to Anne, talk to Melissa. Um, it's, it's cool. Uh, would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we thank you for who you are and the fact that we get to gather here together openly and to worship you. We think of so many in so many countries that can't do that. We think of people who are on one level hiding because of their faith in you, who are running from their families, from their friends, from their communities. We thank you that we can run a kids' ministry openly, pick up kids from the school and bring them here, and that we don't have to fear persecution. We think of those who are imprisoned, those who are um, being hurt, and killed for their faith. We ask that you would make yourself obvious to them this morning. Whether they're in hiding, in prison, we think of their families as well. Help them to hold on to you strongly. Give them strength and peace and your comfort. And help us to not take for granted that we get to pray openly here, worship openly here. We ask your blessing on the rest of our service and help us to um, fellowship well together after. But we thank you again for who you are, what you've done, and what we're allowed to do here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm here in Egypt, home of the Great Pyramids right behind me, the Nile River, beautiful bazaars and markets. It is beautiful. 
Throughout scripture, Egypt has always been a place of both danger and refuge for God's people. Looking back in the Bible, remember Joseph found favor with God while he was still in prison on his way to becoming a leader of Egypt. We know Moses followed God and he led the people of Israel out of slavery. And then Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt with Jesus to escape the decrees of a murderous king. Today, God is still strengthening his people in Egypt, even as it ranks number 16 on the world watch list of most dangerous countries in the world for Christians. Today, believers here face the looming threats of Islamic extremism. They also face daily discrimination for their faith, whether it's in their communities, in their jobs, in their schools, and sometimes even in their homes. لا ده بيخش جوه البيوت بيستهدفوا الرجاله اللي موجوده جوه البيت في اثنين الاب وابنه اتحرقوا يعني ولعوا فيهم هم صاحيين We live in a culture that does not accept our faith because they don't know they don't understand So because of that mixed up mindset because of that distorted image of Christian faith uh, many Muslims they they look to Christians as infidels لأن لمست الله بإيدي. آه ربنا موجود في البيت يعني فبالعكس مش عارفة تتكلموا إزاي دي التجربة اللي ما ما بتضعفش بتقوي. But even in the face of this extreme persecution, they have a powerful source of God's strength, and that's your prayers. Throughout Scripture, God has delivered His people through what seems almost impossible odds. When you pray for your persecuted family, both here in Egypt and around the world, you remind them that God still does that today. He's still our deliverer. <laughs> When I share that Christians around the world are praying for Christians in Egypt, it's a refreshing news. There is a wider family of God that is checking on us, supporting us, praying for us. We do not stand alone. I want to encourage you and challenge you to make the persecuted church part of your everyday prayer life. I think it will deepen your faith and will encourage you in ways you never dreamed of, all the while strengthening your persecuted brothers and sisters in their faith. Because we are one church and one family. We're going to continue focus on prayer. But before we do that, I just wanted to introduce, there's some new faces up here. Many of you are probably wondering who they are. This is Mika and Tori, and they're at Honey Rock for this year, and they're with the group of Honey Rockers. I see many of them here who have chosen to worship and serve with us here at our church. So welcome. You've already added a lot to our our life. So let's... uh, Continue worship with some more scripture. We'll read this one responsibly. If you would stand, we are going to be turning our our thoughts towards prayer for much of the rest of this service. And so let's uh, continue by reading together responsibly. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God.
You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. That was, that was great. Would you pray with me? Dear Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together, Lord. I ask that you would give me your words to speak and not my own. Um, we ask that you would bless the rest of our Sunday, help us to fellowship well together, and honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning we're talking about prayer. Um, as in the video, you saw it talking about the persecuted church and prayer for the persecuted church. This Sunday is um, really, internationally, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So that's why we're doing that. But we're talking about a little different prayer for our sermon. Um, this passage most of you will have heard but you will have heard usually the Matthew version rather than the Luke version. Um, so we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. Luke, in Luke 11, 1 through 13, you can turn there now, otherwise um, there are slides of it that we're going to, um, as we're going to read it. I think this passage is very interesting because even as I read it, I have to like stop myself from going to the Matthew version because I'm just so used to it. So... We will uh, read through this, and uh, then we will talk about it, and hopefully I don't start talking about Matthew. All right, so I'm going to start in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we start out, Jesus' disciples are with him in a certain place, which when I hear certain place, I think there's like something fishy going on, right? And, you know, like covert mission kind of thing in a certain undisclosed location. But it's just, it's a certain place. That's, it's in a certain place. So they, they come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So John was teaching his disciples how to pray. It got back to Jesus' disciples. They wanted to learn as well. So Jesus tells them how to pray. He starts out by saying, when you pray, say, Father. Now, this is different from the Matthew passage 
in, that, in Matthew 6, it talks about our Father who are in heaven, right? So this word Father in Aramaic is Abba, okay? This isn't like, you know, I don't usually call my dad Father. Once in a while I do. But usually I just call him Dad, right? And that shows my level of relationship with him. I can call him Dad. This word Abba is the same in Aramaic. It's showing a level of intimacy that we have with God, that we don't have the more formal, our Father who are in heaven, but rather, Abba. Hallowed be your name. In other translations, it says, may your name be made holy. Now, this needs to be understood as an exhortation of who God is and also to us that we might live righteous lives as representatives of God. This is not saying this is not us praying that God would be holy because He doesn't need us to pray for that. He's He's got that covered. All right. The next section says, "Your kingdom come." Now, if you read the Matthew passage, you will notice that it talks a lot about the kingdom. It talks about your kingdom come, your will be done. This only says your kingdom come. Again, this is not a request that God's kingdom is would come. Because we know that God's kingdom is coming. It is a fact that God's kingdom is coming. And yes, we want it to come sooner. But this is an acknowledgement that Jesus' kingdom, his victory is final and has already been assured. Our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Notice there's a request for God to give us what is not necessarily what we deserve, but what God is going to give us. It is our daily bread. In verse 4, it talks about forgiving us of our sins. Just as God forgives ours, we are to forgive others. God is the only one who can forgive our sins. So that the next section, asking about, um, we're talking about for we also forgive everyone who sins against us begs the question, does that mean if we do not forgive other people, will God not forgive us? Well, that's a hard question, right? It's not an easy question. Is there a direct correlation between these two? If we don't forgive those who sin against us, what ends up happening in our hearts? We end up getting bitter. We are unwilling to forgive others, and it grows. Many times this leads to us thinking about revenge, other things. What happens when we don't forgive is that it interrupts our fellowship with God. Does this mean that we lose our, our salvation or anything like that? No. But it's kind of, kind of like this. When... Me and my wife were dating. Um, I was in Chicago, and my wife was in Minneapolis. Okay? It was a long, long way away. Did we have a relationship? Absolutely. But in 2011, I got my first cell phone, and it was not a great phone. And so I would sometimes text Cam, and sometimes she'd get it, and sometimes she wouldn't, or I'd call her, and sometimes she'd get the call. Or I like had this habit where I'd just call her like 12 times, hoping she'd pick up one of those 12 times. And sometimes she would, and sometimes she'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm not, not picking it up. Um, and at the same time, Internet was 
it wasn't new, but Moody Bible Institute did not have the great the greatest internet, and so sometimes my Skype calls were great and clear, and other times it was garbled, and you know, I looked like I was talking to an alien, and it just wasn't it wasn't great. That's kind of what it's like when we live with unforgived sins of others that we that we sit on. All right. C.S. Lewis said this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Verse 4 ends with, and lead us not into temptation. We all don't really enjoy being tempted, I don't think, if anyone does like to be tempted. Or maybe we do like to be tempted and we just like to get as close to the edge as we can, like a little closer, a little closer. But I think all of us could say that we all want to pray that we would um, not be tempted. This also brings up the question, if we are asking God not to lead us into temptation, does God tempt us? James 1, 1 through 18 makes it very clear that God is not the one who tempts us, but rather we are, when we are, um, when our own lusts and sinful desires get in the way, that is when we are tempted and we sin. This is in direct contrast to Luke 4, where we see the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, the ultimate test for Jesus before his crucifixion. So should we be praying, God, do not tempt us? I think we should be praying, God, keep us from sin. When we look at all of these different things that we have, our foundation of prayer has to be God in his proper place. It starts out talking about who God is, how he is holy, how his kingdom is coming, how he is the conqueror, as the one who gives us all all of our physical needs, all of our spiritual needs, and as the one who keeps us from temptation. Our foundation in prayer needs to be God in his proper place. Let's continue. In verse 5 through, um, through 8, there's an odd story about a man in his house at midnight. Now, I don't know if I've necessarily been woken up at midnight in our house by anyone yet, and I'm really thankful that that hasn't happened, but... To understand the story, you need to go back to the first century Israel, all right? So I want you to go back. First century Israel, you're in a small house. We're talking a wooden door, all right? And when I say small house, I mean like one room. And instead of your kids being in separate rooms, being woken up by someone like hitting the doorbell over and over again and the dog barking, I want you to think about this as someone knocking on that door, but instead of beds and rooms, we're talking one bed, one room, Okay? So there would be a raised platform on one side of the room where everyone in that family would sleep on. All right? So all of you people out there, all you kids, anyone who ever complained about siblings in their space when they shared a room, this is next level. Okay? And so a guy comes to this man's house and he knocks on the door and he says, hey, I've got a friend here, unexpected friend. I need bread. And in this culture, this is an honor-shame culture, 
if you aren't a good host, you are shaming yourself, but you are also shaming the community. All right? So this guest shows up, and the guy says, right, go away. Don't bother me. The doors are already locked, and my children are with me in bed. So when they say with me in bed, it's not with in their own bed. It's, it's with me, with me in our bed. Um, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The reason the guy is getting up is because he doesn't want to be put to shame. Now, the hard thing with this passage is that there's kind of split opinions on what this means about God and prayer. So, on one side you have the shame camp who are saying, like, God is exactly like this guy who gets up because he will not be put to shame. So he will answer your prayers because he doesn't want his reputation tarnished. On the other side, you have this kind of contrast that says God is better than this guy because he loves you and because of your boldness, because you ask boldly, he will answer your prayers because he's better than this guy. And that's where I'm at. I think that just makes way more sense than the God won't be put to shame. So when we pray, we can boldly approach God just as this man approaches his neighbor, knocks on the door, because we know God is better than this man, because he will answer your prayers. The next section talks about prayer should be done persistently. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. If you're at all involved with Fun Club, this, this verse should be pretty familiar because this is there's a Matthew passage that's parallel again. This is our memory verse for this year, which, no, I did not know I was preaching on this when we started Fun Club, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, Ask, seek, knock. These are three action words. They are continuous. They're not one thing that you do once and you're done. They don't stop. And we are called to keep praying and to never stop praying for God's best. Um, notice how it says that every single one of these people, if, or every, every one of these actions will be answered. If you ask, you will get the answer. If you seek, you will find if you knock, the door will be opened. The final two verses of this passage have some weird comparisons. We're talking about fish and snakes. Okay, how many of you would say that a fish and a snake look the same? I guess most of you would say no. I guess in the Sea of Galilee, there are like eels and stuff that kind of look like snakes. That's what I've been, I don't know. I don't totally understand it. But, um,. The whole point of the end is, is God better than us as fathers? When we look at humans, is God better than us as humans? And the answer is absolutely God is. And so how much more likely is God to answer your prayers? Well, he's, he's going to answer your prayers always. And notice at the end, it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you read the parallel passage in Matthew 7, it says that God will give you 
that God will give you good things in general. This passage talks about the Holy Spirit as that specific thing. Why does God say the Holy Spirit in specific? Well, first of all, Luke here, he's the same guy that writes Acts. And so pretty soon after this passage is written, you have Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming down and dwelling with man. Luke is the one who he acknowledges the Holy Spirit more than any other of the authors in the Gospels, and he's also the one that talks about Jesus when he leaves, that the Holy Spirit will come. But what God is really saying here is that God will not hold back his ultimate good for us. Think about the fact of all the things that God could give us. What is the most precious and good thing that he could give us? And that's the Holy Spirit. Not just, I mean, Jesus says a man, that's great. He's here for 33 years and he leaves. But the Holy Spirit is here with you eternally. He never leaves. So this passage, as I've said before, differs from the Matthew one. And the question is, why? Some people believe that it was preached multiple times. I think it makes sense that Jesus in three years would teach on prayer a couple times at least. The Matthew one is much more focused on eschatology and times in the kingdom. This one is much more focused on personal prayer. This should become a pattern of prayer. When I was a kid, I was taught this acronym for how to pray well. And some of you guys have probably heard ACTS, right? So A is adoration, so praising God. C, confession, confessing what you've done to God. T, thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? And S, supplication, so what you're asking God for. And as a kid, I always thought, like, shouldn't it be cats, right? Shouldn't you, like, clear the air with God before you start praying, confess your sins, and then acknowledge him? But the reality is, if you can't acknowledge God as the one who is the one who, he's the one who you're confessing your sins to because he's the one who forgives them, it doesn't matter. You need to start with acknowledging God as for who he is. Our pattern of prayer needs to follow this pattern, not as an exact, uh, as an exact manual that every single prayer looks the same, but rather it needs to start with acknowledging God for who he is. It needs to be done boldly and persistently, which I'm sure many of you have heard kids pray, right? And when they pray lots of times, it's just ludicrous stuff. Stuff that you're like, okay, why, why did you just pray for, I don't know, something crazy. But the reality is, we should be praying with that boldness that children pray with. Because the reality is that God hears us, and he's going to answer us. And we shouldn't pray once. It should be a continuous thing. We should be willing to ask God for the ultimate good. And that includes the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us good things. I, uh, I ordered two books when I um, found out that I was preaching on this passage. And one book didn't come. Instead, I got... Uh, fantasy novel, which I think is pretty funny instead of that one. I don't know why exactly. Um, but the other book was A.W. Tozer's 
guide on prayer. And if I were to boil down the entire book, you pretty much get to the point where Tozer says, prayer should turn into something more than just words and thoughts. That should be a way of living. Our prayers need to be undergirded by an understanding of who we are praying to. We're not praying to some puppet master who has us all on strings like marionettes dancing in some cheap play. But rather, we are praying to the God of the universe who sent his son to die on a cross for us. And that's how much he loved us before we were sinners, before we were knew who he was while we were still enemies of him. And that's what we need to start our prayers with, saying he is the one who is doing this. And be bold in our prayers and not be afraid to ask for the big things because God is willing to give us those big things. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day, for this time that we've had together, Lord. We praise you for who you are. You are the king of the universe. You are the savior of all of us. That there is no way to the Father except through you. You are the one who bridges the gap between the sinner and the savior. You are the only way to heaven. And we praise you for that. We ask that you would help us as we pray. That we wouldn't be timid that we would be willing to pray continuously, asking, knocking, seeking, and always looking for you, Lord. We praise you for the Holy Spirit that we know lives in us. We pray that you would help us to rely on that Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. We ask your blessing on the rest of our time together, and we praise you again for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the God of peace go with you. You're dismissed.